0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: What he's dealing with is a woman who was married five times and divorced five times. But in every one of those cases, the man would have initiated both. He would have married her and then set her aside, put her aside. And then another marries her and puts her away. And then a third marries her and puts her away and the fourth and the fifth.
0: In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Worship in Spirit and Truth. We're in John chapter four and we'll start in verse 15 and go through verse 45. We're considering Jesus's interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well. So let's listen in. Her response
1: to him acknowledges her thirst physically and spiritually as well as her position socially. It's subtle, but it's important to note She was there in the middle of the day. It was a half hour walk, at least. It's deserty. So to, to be at a well in the middle of the day, you're doing that intentionally so you're not running into others. She's surprised to see anyone there. And now she's in a conversation with the Jewish rabbi and more than a Jewish rabbi, but that's who she's beginning to perceive him to be. She says she wants it that she might not thirst. And then she says, nor come here to draw. So her response acknowledges that physical thirst. And then, of course, Jesus wants to draw her out as, you know, she's saying, I don't want to have to come back here. I don't want to have to go through this. Jesus says, go call your husband and come here. In essence, he's saying, let's talk about and deal with your last desire. He takes them out of order, you know, nor come here to thirst. But she says, nor come here to draw. And so he's saying, let's talk about that. Why don't you get your husband? Because really, if a man was going to engage in a conversation with a woman, that could only happen with her husband present or a brother or someone, but never like it was. Well, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. It's easy to misunderstand what's actually happened to her because we live in such a different culture. In those days, men divorced women, but women did not divorce men not in this culture anyway. And, and you need to know, though, there were problems in the north, there were problems in the south. These guys all have the common root of Abraham. They have Moses' law. They, they understand these things. So anyway, um, what, he, what he's dealing with is a woman who was married five times and divorced five times. But in every one of those cases, the man would have initiated both. He would have married her and then set her aside put her aside, and then another marries her and puts her away, and then a third marries her and puts her away, and the fourth and the fifth. Now she's living with a guy in an adulterous relationship, and this guy's not even willing to marry her. So while I'm not really into the whole victim mentality thing, you know, so many people, oh, I'm a victim, everything happened to me, and I had no control over it. In her case, she truly is a victim of the hardness of men's hearts against her. Because, well, when, when they ask Jesus about divorce later, he'll say, well, you know, this Moses said, you know, we could give a writing of divorce. He made it clear for adultery and adultery only, but not just that. When they said, well, then why did, why did he even say, go ahead and write it? He said, because of the hardness of your hearts, lest a woman have to live with someone who doesn't love her and doesn't care for her and doesn't provide for her. He allowed divorce, but that was never the plan. So here's a woman who has severely been misused and taken advantage of. And, uh, and so he wants to deal with that issue because, well, that's a heart issue, a core issue. And just as he did with Nicodemus, he was face to face, then eye to eye, then heart to heart. He's doing the same thing with her. So um, when all this goes down, and she says, well, can we talk about something else? You know, I used to think she just was trying to change the subject. I don't think that now. I think she's saying, listen, I have greater, greater issues than, than that issue. And, and so she said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. She goes, go back with me to to verse 19. She says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. She's not just, you know, flattering him. She realizes someone who knows her whole history, who just met her, isn't an ordinary guy or an ordinary rabbi. And then she gets into her heart's greatest desire and greatest passion. And I love where she goes because it's not about, Oh, if I could only find a man who'd love me or if I could only be a part of the community of women who shun me. No, her greatest desire is to worship God acceptably. And that's what she's saying. You guys say it's, it's down there at Mount Zion and, and Jerusalem and, and up here we have Mount Gerizim and that's where they are. And our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You say it's about that mountain where we ought to worship. And so Jesus doesn't just answer the question Although he answers the question, he takes her deeper and further in her understanding of what's really going on. Now, the word worship appears in these next few verses seven times. And the word worshipers just once, but clearly the focus here is worship. So he says, verse 21, woman, we read it, but now in its context, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you'll neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem Worship the Father. What does that mean to us? It's not about where we worship, it's about who we worship and how we worship. And he's going to make that very clear. In verse 22, he said, You worship what you do not know. We worship, well, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews truth is everybody worships something or someone. Why? Because we were created not just with the capacity, but a need to worship. That's why worldwide people worship something. In Psalm 115, and then again in Psalm 135, the psalmist describes the idols of the heathen. He says they have eyes, but they can't see. Mouths, but they can't speak. Ears, but they can't hear. Hands, but they can't handle. Feet, but they can't walk. And he concludes by saying those who make them are like them. And what's that saying? He's saying if someone's worshiping a lifeless idol, then their God is lifeless and, and well, they're lifeless. They're blinded spiritually. They can't hear the truth. They they can't handle what's happening. They can't walk in the spirit. None of what God intends for them is their reality. Are they sincere in their worship? I believe many are. I was in India and I saw so many people that were so devout, but they were worshiping millions of unknown gods, none of them actual God. And so we worship, he's saying, the true and living God. We know who we're worshiping, but, but the hour is coming when it, Everyone will get it. It's not here or there. It's who and it's how. So he, listen, he, he, as we read, we know what we worship. Salvation is of the Jews. They worship the one true and living God. And we're all called to worship God. We worship the father through the son and in the power of the spirit. By the way, those three all worthy of, but Jesus is always pointing us to the father. He came to redeem us. And reconcile us to the Father. The Father says no one comes to the Son yet by me or but by me. We know the work of the Spirit to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. So no one comes to the Father except through the Son. No one comes to the Son except through the Father. No one comes to either if the Holy Spirit isn't at work. So they're working together with one goal. To bring us to salvation. Everlasting life. Well, Salvation is of the Jews. The one true and living God, he promises salvation, redemption, forgiveness through a savior. And Jesus goes on and we'll see it in in verse, he goes on to say it in verse 26. First though, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers, he's not using the word true as to say that those who worship idols aren't truly worshiping. No, they are. But he's saying worshipers who are worshiping in spirit and truth, according to the truth, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Well, he clarifies it. I could have just read it. It would have been easier. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. The Father worthy of and desiring our worship. And it's a bit troubling that he even has to pursue his own creation and say, hey, I'm the one providing. I'm the one I'm the creator. I'm the sustainer. You have life physically because I gave it to you. You can have life spiritually because I I, want to give it to you. But he's seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Empowered by his spirit in accordance with his word, those who have neither cannot worship him acceptably. I remember years ago my pastor who is worshiping perfectly today because he is in the presence of God Almighty and he was a pretty good worshipper even down here. But anyway, he used to, to talk about the fact that an overemphasis on one to the neglect of the other will always hinder our worship. And and so not just our worship, if we're too into the word as if that were possible, but, but, Or too into the spirit, as if that were possible. No, I think you can't be too into either unless one causes you to neglect the other. But if if we're into the word and we're into the spirit, well, then our worship, our witness, our fellowship are all going to reflect that. But here's how Chuck used to say it. If we focus on the word without the spirit, we'll dry up. If we focus on the spirit without the word, we'll blow up. But when the word of God and the spirit of God are at work in the heart of a child of God, we grow up. That's the whole point and purpose, that we would mature in him. And as we do, we would become more like him. Well, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. You have to appreciate this. The Jews thought the Samaritans were so lost. The Samaritans thought they have it all. They've got the temple and the priesthood and the feast and the festivals. They have everything. They're still lost. And guess who was right? Both of them. They were lost, but that's why Jesus had come. And that's why John the Baptist was calling people to repentance. The woman said, I know Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he listen there's no other savior and before we press on into the latter verses here and prepare our hearts for communion listen to a couple things from the book of isaiah these are all out of isaiah 45 and 46 and i'll shotgun them for you oh no that wouldn't be right i'll machine gun them for you which just means doing it faster not all at once how would that possibly happen it would just be a jumble of words all going out at once and some of you're like i think that's kind of what's happening. Listen, in Isaiah 45, God speaks to a a, a king, Cyrus, who he raised up to take out the Babylonians and send his people back home to Jerusalem. And, and, And so he says in Isaiah 45, for Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have called you by your name. I've known you and named you, though you've not known me. I am the Lord and there is no other, there is no God besides me. I'll gird you though you've not known me that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting there is none besides me I am the Lord and there is no other Now there are more than a dozen of such claims I'm going to read just three more because I pointed out in our introduction that that every chapter in John affirms Jesus as son of God or God the son God savior lord and and, and while all those might have you know, some nuance of difference. The bottom line is Jesus is God and, and he's, there's still the father, there's still the Holy Spirit, he's the son. But, but listen, there's only one savior and there's only one true and living God, three persons, don't ask me to explain it. Go back to the tapes when I was like 35, I could do it perfectly back then. But Isaiah, that's because I didn't know what I didn't know back then. Isaiah 45, 18, thus says the Lord who created the heavens. So we know what God we're worshiping among the millions and billions that people worship. Our God created the heavens. Who is God who formed the earth and made it, who established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. Isaiah 45, 21, tell and bring forth your case. Let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have I not, or have not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me, a just God and a savior. There is none besides me. One more, Isaiah 46, 9 this time. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other I am God and there is none like me. He gives us another evidence among the many others, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. Well, all of that to say, he's saying, hey, we know who we worship. You guys aren't really sure. And she says, I know Messiah's coming. And I know when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus says, he's standing here before you. I who speak to you am he. At this point, verse 27, his disciples came and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? They are amazed. They are in awe. That becomes increasingly common because he's not doing less and less. He's doing more and more every day filled with surprises when you're walking with the Lord. And not just them in that day. That can be true for us in this day. Well, the woman, um, as the disciples are there and they're marveling, she says, got to go. The woman then left her water pot, went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She acknowledges that, that hearing him say, I'm, I'm him. She goes now and acknowledges, I think I might have met the Savior. And, and, and so they went out of the city and came to him. Take note of this. Jesus didn't say, you better go tell some people about this. He didn't have to. She was so blown away and so excited that she had been in the presence of one who knew her and yet spoke to her, who understood what she'd been through and yet wanted a relationship with her. The one who declared, I'm the one you're waiting for. Well, anyway, he doesn't tell her to go, but she goes and she convinces others. So they respond as well. In the meantime, the disciples, verse 31, urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Just like Nicodemus and just like the woman at the well when he says, hey, I'm fine. I have something. I have food to eat you're not even aware of. And they're like, well, what food is that? And his, he's going to actually answer the question. But important to note, they're concerned with physical needs. He's concerned with others' spiritual needs. Jesus said to them, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you, do, not, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you've not labored. Others have labored and you entered into their labors. Many of the Samaritans, verse 39 of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, so they hear from her, they believe her, but now they want to see for themselves. They want to hear for themselves. And that's always wise. When people are like, well, I just can't believe it. You say, well, just come and listen or just log on and check it out. Tell them to read the gospel of John and give them a New Testament so they can do it. Mark where it is. Say, listen, this guy wrote so you could believe. Read it and let's talk about it. Anyway, they came to him and they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Listen, I don't know what the disciples were doing at this point. It doesn't say. It, I, I'm thinking it has to be weird for them because they probably didn't even want to go through Samaria. There was another route. It was a little longer and a little windier, but they, this was the shortcut. But Jesus needed to go there because he had a divine appointment there. Not just with her. But with everyone, her witness would impact. And now he's fellowshipping for two days with Samaritans. And by the way, in every point of his, uh, these four gospels, Samaritans are always spoken of uh, in the positive by Jesus. And there's the parable of the good Samaritan, contrasting with spiritual leaders of Israel. But you can go through and just look for the word, get a concordance and do that and just note. He always speaks well of them. Why? Because he knew something others didn't, that they were hungry up there, that they were hurting up there, that they were needy, that they were no worse than the people in the South. They were just like the people in the South. Well, anyway, many more believed in him, we read in verse 41, because of his own word. And they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, and they mean not only because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. You know what's astounding about this? And it makes me wonder if the disciples were right there right then. None of the disciples have actually said anything like this yet. So here are strangers not traveling with Jesus, not called by him and following after and forsaking all to do so. They haven't yet figured it out. And here are these guys are saying, we know this is indeed the Christ. And they get it, the Savior of the world. So we see the fruit of Jesus spending two days with these Samaritans. Many believe in, they testify to their faith in him. But Jesus is doing far more than reaching out to them. If his disciples are nearby or with him, they're certainly hearing it from the mouths of others. He's the Christ, the Son of of God, the Savior of the world Jesus, a lover of sinners. I love that. A friend of sinners, it says as well. And and I love that because, well, I qualify to be friends with Jesus and, and to know I'm accepted by him. Well, anyway, he goes where no one else would go and fellowships with those who no one would fellowship with. And he brings them to him. It's a a picture for us we could think of those we might want to avoid at all cost and then think maybe I could be effective with them and maybe it's just you know a spiritual battle to keep me away from them because I'll be the one that'll be able to speak to them and, and see a transformation well anyway last couple verses now after the two days he departed from there and went to Galilee For Jesus himself testified, a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had gone to the feast. Here's what we've seen, and there's more, but ponder these for a moment, and then we're gonna pray and prepare our hearts for communion Jesus. The Word of God, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the one who came unto his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him. To these he gave power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on
0: his name. What is it that brings about repentance and the acceptance of Jesus Christ? It's not us admitting that our ways are evil and wrong and then changing our lives. Initially, we are to repent from only one sin, and that's the sin of not believing. Repentance being that we accept Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and then we accept his offer of salvation. Now, once that's done, all of the other things that we tend to focus on, our behaviors and thoughts, they're given over to him to correct and to change. After all, he's much better at that than we ever will be. Our focus as it pertains to an unbelieving world starts with the prayer that God will use us to be part of him revealing himself to them. Just as God used the Samaritan woman to bring revelation to the Samaritans in our study today. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico and you can visit our website ccchico.com or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam